wind uh, being an indication of where the spirit moves. It's the same word in Greek, and it's the same thing in Hebrew. And, and as, as God's people, we are not only filled with his breath as the giver of life, but with his spirit as the giver of new life. And so we sing with his breath in our lungs and in our lives and, and hearts. Let's uh, read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. It was noted last week that there aren't very many chair Bibles. We're working on that. I'm trying to get in the habit of uh, making sure we let you know uh, what the page number is on the chair Bible, and we're going to order some more chair Bibles to be able to, uh, to fill these with Bibles and, and to give them away. But uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 will be our text today. Let me read that to you, and then we will uh, turn to God once again in prayer. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your written word that informs us of who you are and what you want and desire for us and from us. But we thank you for the living word in whom our hope lies, who has qualified us to be partakers of his kingdom and of your family. And so we thank you for uh, the gift of Christ, not only his life and death, but his rule now and his uh, very presence in our lives. Lord, as a church, I pray that you would give us a deep and significant desire for growth, that we would desire never uh, to, to stay where we're at in the faith and in our knowledge of you, but to ever be pressing forward and onward, growing in the knowledge of you. Lord, I want to pray for our neighbors next door, Walla Walla City, Seventh-day Adventist Church, Lord. And for us as well, Lord, I pray that you would uh, keep us faithful to the gospel, that we would uh, cling to it, that we would be true to it, that we would share it with our neighbors. Lord, I pray that uh, we would also be faithful to your word as the sole and final authority for all things on earth that you have ruled and governed your church and your people by your word, and that your word is sufficient for uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Lord, we also pray for our missionary partners in Asia, whose names we, we cannot share, but we thank you for them and for the work that they do. We thank you for their dearness to us. We thank you for the praises that they have uh, shared with us of uh, clean bills of health and um, and, and a cancer-free situation, Lord, I'm not even sure who that's about, but you know. Uh, we thank you that you uh, have given them comfort and hope, even in difficult times. And we pray that those around them who do not know that comfort and do not know that hope might hear of it through them and, and trust in you. Lord, with them we ask uh, that there would be much fruit that would come uh, amongst the people there where they minister from this 10-week course on the pastoral epistles. And as they're thinking and planning and dreaming about a, a systematic theology class in the spring, Lord, I, I pray greatly that you would bring that to fruition. Lord, I thank you for the desire that they have to see people grow in their knowledge of you and of their understanding of you and so to progress in the faith. 
Lord, show us even in today's sermon how important these things are. Lord, as they've asked us to pray for COVID and the situation where they are, we ask for wisdom for leaders and health for people. We also pray for uh, the political tensions in the area, Lord. We pray that you would bring rest and peace uh, to that area and that, that the... Um, that the people might be able to experience that, that peace and without that kind of tension there. Lord, in the midst of those tensions, may it be an opportunity for them to see and proclaim that you are our peace and that our peace is not connected with earthly events but with Jesus Christ who has rescued us from ourselves and from our sin. Lord, I pray for the many among us this morning who are sick, even notifying us this morning that they wouldn't be here and that there's uh, classes canceled and people who, just many among us, Lord, who I'm hearing from who are sick and uh, just seems to be common colds, but they are still down. And so we ask that you would bring them health and wellness soon. Lord, uh, again, we ask as always that the word may sound forth from us, whether it be from the pulpit in our growth groups, our Sunday school classes, but just our daily individual lives as well. May the truth of your word go out from us and may the gospel go out from us. And as we look to your word now, I pray that you would give us open eyes and soft hearts, that we might understand your word and know it and apply it and live, uh, live in ways that are pleasing to you and that are a delight to you. Lord, may you delight in us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember uh, newly being married some, I don't know, 21 years ago plus. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was good for a little while, but uh, it, it quickly became difficult. Uh, my memories are uh, not so good, mostly of myself. I was selfish uh, I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. I couldn't understand why. Uh, I, I couldn't just go, you know, be the, the playful bachelor who was playing golf with his buddies or, or, or whatever I wanted to do. You know, I had no idea what my wife wanted from me. And, well, sometimes I still don't. Uh, but I had no idea how to please her, how to make her happy. But with little help, less knowledge, and no experience, we, we jumped in with gusto. But because of my selfishness and my lack of knowledge, maybe even, things did not go very well at first. And despite what she said with her mouth uh, of what would please her, I still had no idea how to make her happy. I had no idea how to behave in a way that she would uh, delight in me. And I, I want to make something very, very clear here at the outset of this uh, analogy. It was not because she was impossible to please was because I was a poor husband. But the point of all of that is that I remember what it felt like, and maybe sometimes still do, to feel like it was impossible to please her. What she said with her mouth and what I did, you know, I would try at times and it didn't seem to go very well. And, and again, you know, the problem was with me, but I, I just remember the hopelessness, not hopelessness, that's not right, just the frustration at times of feeling like I've entered into this covenant relationship with this person, a relationship that's designed to be joyful and life-giving and a blessing from God, but I don't know how to make her happy. I think... Maybe for many of us, if we're honest, sometimes being a Christian can feel that way. I've entered into this covenant relationship with God, and, and it's supposed to be joyful and happy and life-giving, but I feel like it's impossible to know how to please God. 
It's not, that it's, he, it's not that he's impossible to please. In fact, he himself has done everything necessary on our behalf to be pleased with us. But sometimes I just feel like, God, I don't, I don't know what it is you want from me. I don't know, uh, are, are you punishing me in this situation? Which he's not, I can tell you that. Maybe discipline, but never punishment. Uh, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do in this situation? I've had countless stories of people coming into my office and saying, I cannot figure out for the life of me what God's will is. I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and I don't know what God wants from me. And I used to think that God, um, his will, what he wanted for us was hard to discern, difficult to decipher, and I don't think it is. I don't think God is in the business of hiding his desires for us and from us and then being upset at us when we don't live up to them. Here in these four verses, we're going to get a picture today of what pleases God. We're going to get a picture today of what pleases God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul prays for what God wants from us. Look with me at verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, that is, we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for the saints, and from that day we have not ceased to pray for you. I think there's two things right at the get-go that really aren't the bulk of this sermon that I think I want to point out. Number one is Paul was prompted to pray for them because things were good. I think oftentimes we're, we're, we're prompted to pray for people when things are bad. It's kind of like, and maybe many of us are guilty of this, it's kind of like going to the doctor only when something is wrong and never beforehand to make sure that we're tuned up, so to speak. You got to do regular maintenance on your car or else something's going to break. If you only take your car to the mechanic when something is broken, it's going to be very expensive and very frustrating. Well, Paul doesn't wait for something to be broken in the Colossian church to pray for them. And so I think lesson number one for us is as a church, we ought to be praying for one another, not just in the bad times, but also in the good. In fact, maybe more so in the good. We should, be, we should feel the urgency to pray for one another. But I think another thing we should understand here is that what comes in the following verses, and this is true of every prayer of Paul's in the New Testament, he prays primarily for what is spiritual. Paul was far more concerned about his own and the church's spiritual well-being than he was their physical well-being. And it's easy because it's tangible and it's in front of us. It's easy to let our prayers be dominated by the physical, uh, cancer, or uh, some other physical illness. And all of those things should be prayed for. James is clear on that, that if you're sick, you should call for the elders of the church and they will pray for you. We should pray for those things, but much more than those things, we should be praying for spiritual things. But, but let me, let, let's keep going. So he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what we ask, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is saying, what I pray for you is that you would understand what God's will is. And then the remainder of this prayer is is a prayer for what God's will is. He, He doesn't say, I pray that you would know God's will and good luck figuring it out. 
He says, I pray that you would know God's will, and here's where it is. Now, sometimes God's will is specific, but oftentimes it's not. I think God's will for us tends to be much more general. Why do I think that? I think that because James is clear, as is much of the New Testament, that we are to pray for and ask for and exercise wisdom. If God only ever wanted us to do exactly what he wanted, and, like, and, and he always wants us to do what he wants, that's not the best way to say that. If God is saying, I have an exact will for you, and it's like this razor edge, and you've got to do this balancing act all the way through life, hoping not to step off this way or that way, Scripture would never call for us to have wisdom. We would only be called to have discernment to discern what God's will is. But scripture calls us to have both discernment and wisdom, which means sometimes God says, this is exactly what I want you to do. And I think in those moments, he makes it incredibly obvious, doesn't he? There are some times when God's will is so clear and so evident that it's unmistakable. This is what God wants me to do. But there's other times when it's not so clear. And I think in those moments, God's calling us to, to have wisdom, to apply wisdom of, of knowing God and what's glorifying to him and what's good for us and to act in those ways. But I digress here. Paul is praying for us that we would know what God's will is. So the question for us and the great question is, well, then what is God's will? Well, first and foremost, it is, verse 10, that we would walk that's a euphemism for live, that, that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I don't know about you, but those words, they feel incredibly weighty to me. That we would walk, that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord. In, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, Paul says that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Colossians and Ephesians are kind of parallel books. They were written at similar times, and I think the same things were weighing on Paul's heart at the time, and, and so there's much similarity between them. But, but here, as well as in other verses, Paul uses this language that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word worthy, this adjective, or worthily, that we would live worthily, is a word that came from the marketplace. So let's imagine we were living in the first century, and you didn't go to the grocery store, you went to the market, and you went to buy some grain. Well, you would tell uh, the person you were buying grain from, I would like a pound of grain. And so they would have a balance scale. We often see these in the, the justice system, right? There's a, a post in the middle and, a and a, uh, the scale has a crossbar and then there's two uh, compartments and you put weight in one side and it goes up and down. Uh, well, well, this is the, the word that was used to talk about weights that went in that kind of scale. And so if I wanted to cheat you, I might have a weight labeled one pound, but that was really seven-eighths of a pound. Not a huge difference, but enough difference that I'm not really giving you a pound of grain when you ask for a pound of grain, and, and, uh, and then I'm, I'm selling you less for the same amount of money, and hopefully, you know, I'm, as I swindle you, I'm making more money. That's the idea there. Well, that's not the idea of this word. The idea of this word is, is that worthy weights were just weights. They were accurate weights. They were, they were worthy of what was on the opposite side of the scale. And so a worthy weight 
a worthy one pound weight would actually weigh one pound. And so when you go to the marketplace and you say, I would like a pound of grain, they would put a one pound weight on one side and the scale would fall. And then they'd put weight in the other side until the scale balanced out. And that was a worthy amount of grain with a worthy weight. It was, a, it was a worthy balance in those scales. And so that's the word that Paul is using here to describe this walk. And it, pardon the pun, but, but this is heavy. God has put one thing on one side of the scale, and our lives are to balance out what God has placed on this side of the scale. What has God put on this side of the scale? Well, Ephesians 1 tells us that he has put every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he has called us and chosen us and adopted us and blessed us and deposited his spirit into us as a guarantee. That God has, essentially the picture is, on one side of the scale, God has placed everything his son has done for us. That Christ, being eternally God, our, the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of all things, he became one of us. So that infinitely valuable as God and able to die as man, perfectly righteous, he lives a sinless life, never disobeying God, never breaking uh, one of God's commandments. And so he lives this perfectly sinless life in our place. And then he dies undeservedly in our place and, and rises again three days later. And when he rises, he doesn't just say, that's it, it's good, you can have eternal life. No, Ephesians 1 says he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus told us that as a father desires to give good gifts to his children, so God desires to give us every good gift. And here, look at what he says. He says, we're, we're to walk, we're to live in this worthy manner, this balanced manner of the Lord. Not only all that Christ has done, but all that Christ is, is on one side of the scale. That's awful heavy. And if you're like me, you might hear that and you're like, I'm going home. I can't ever do that. I can't live up to that. His, uh, the eternal son, his vicarious and substitutionary death, his resurrection, eternal life, every spiritual blessing. He earned it all. He paid it all. He planned it all. He did it all. And then he gives me all the rewards. What? That's what's in one side of the scale. How can we possibly put anything into the other side of the scale that balances that out? Interestingly, it's really, really simple. What Paul tells us here in the following verses is incredibly simple. But before, don't, don't complicate simple with easy. <laughs> it's work. But it's very, very simple. This worthy life, which is God's will for all of us, is incredibly simple. But before we can look at, at how simple it is, we have to understand something, that this is response, not payment. This is the fruit of what he has done, not the root of it. 
It's not us earning what Christ has done, nor is it us repaying what Christ has done. God expects no payment. He expects no repayment. But sometimes when someone does something so great, there is a a worthy response required. And so this is, uh, we have to be very, very careful not to ever think that we're repaying God for what he has put in one side of the scale. So why is it so, why is it that I say it's so simple to please God? Well, as we look now on your outline to four ways to please God, as we look at these four ways to please God, one of the things that we see is that as Paul describes this worthy life, this life in accordance with God's will, this life that is Jesus' supreme delight and how he delights in us, he uses four participles. What's a participle? That's a big word. It's, a, it's an I-N-G word, or if you're an English major, it's, it's a gerund. Now, what this means is, uh, is really, really good news for us. Because all of these four ways that that God is pleased with us, or or ways we can live our lives that pleases God, they're all in process. None of them are past tense. It's not about who you have become or had become. It's about who you're becoming. The reason this is such good news is because what God is, is pleased most with today is not our perfection, but our progress. What balances out that scale of all that God has put in for us is not our perfection, but our progress. Paul expects that all of these things will will be growing among us. And and so, you know, I I used to live under the weight of God's demand for perfection. And let's make no mistake, God demands perfection. But I used to live under the weight, and not a good weight, of feeling like uh, I have to be perfect now, and anytime I'm not, God's angry with me. Well, God is far more patient and gentle with us than that. But, but what, what really helped in my spiritual life was understanding that God is not demanding my perfection today. He is working that out. He's doing that in me, and that will culminate ultimately in eternity when he makes me perfect. But today, what God wants is my today's step towards maturity. So if you've, been, uh, if you've trusted Jesus for a year, your responsibility today is to have taken one step further to, to take one year and one day's step in maturity. If you've been walking with Christ for 50 years, your responsibility is to take 50 years and one day's step towards maturity. And if you've never trusted Christ, your step today is to confess to God that you are a sinner, that you do need forgiveness, and that it's only by trusting Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And that is today's step. And that will start a lifetime of next steps. God is far more concerned with our next step today than with our perfection today. Christ is our perfection on our behalf. He is our righteousness. He is our hope. 
Our, uh, God treated him as guilty so that he could apply the righteousness of Christ to us through faith. So that when God looks at us, and we're going to see more in chapter 2 as we continue through the book of Colossians, how God did this. But, but our record of debt is canceled. When God looks at us, he sees in us the righteousness of Christ. And so our perfection has already been granted, and it will culminate in eternity. But today, we're just taking the next step. Oh, if this isn't good news, I don't know what is. That God doesn't desire for us to be perfect overnight. He could have done that in us, couldn't he? He he could have done that in us, and I don't know why, and I don't know that Scripture tells us why, other than maybe to keep us humble. God has kept us in a process of progressively becoming more and more conformed into the image of his son. And so if you're sitting here today and you feel like, man, whatever I, yesterday, uh, last night, this morning when I screamed at my wife on the way to church or whatever it may be, something you know I looked at on my computer or watched yesterday or, or the way I treated somebody or the neglect of my Bible or prayer, whatever it is that, is that is hanging over your head that feels like I just can't get this right and I'm not good enough and God can't be pleased with me. Oh, he can be pleased with you, but not because of you, because of Jesus Christ, but he is pleased with us. He delights in us. He he sees the scales as balancing out and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that is fully pleasing to him when we are in progress. And so I want to share four ways today to please God, four ways that each of us should be in progress. And the first one found in verse 10 is that we grow in good works. We grow in good works. We, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. There's that I-N-G word, that progressive step word, bearing fruit in every good work. The first way we, that God delights in us is to grow in good works. But notice it's not just good works. Look at what he says here. It's a little heavier than it might uh, feel at first. He says we are to grow in every good work. In fact, this is what in part we were saved for. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should always be seeking to grow in good works, in good works towards the church, in good works towards those outside the church, in ways that we benefit our community, our neighbors, our family, our friends. I want to give four biblical examples of what is described as good works, though. Number one, 1 Corinthians 16, 15 calls new believers first fruits. They are called fruits. So one of the ways that we should always be seeking to grow in good works is to share the gospel with people. In fact, we shouldn't really have an understanding of doing good to others without the gospel or apart from the gospel. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If, If we feed the homeless, that's a good work. We're specifically told we should feed the hungry. But if we do so without ever sharing the gospel, 
we're not really growing in every good work. We should be sharing the gospel with people who do not know the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 calls the sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips. So one of the ways we please God is through praise, through maybe that's personally, maybe that's corporately. We sing to God at home, in the car, in the shower, at church. Who knows? We can praise God anywhere and everywhere. But I think the thing we need to note about Hebrews 13, 15 is that it is a sacrifice of praise. I'm afraid that in a modern era of church convenience, we've lost the idea of what it means to be a sacrifice of praise. Is it a sacrifice of your time and your family's time to to give your whole Sunday morning to Trinity, to, to let your kids go to Sunday school, to go to an adult Bible class, to then come to church as a family, to devote two whole service hours to the church? Yeah, it might be. It might be a sacrifice of praise but that's what God demands. In fact, uh, David and others in the Old Testament refused to sacrifice to God what cost them nothing. They demanded that they give full price, whether it be for a plot of land or for an animal, But, but David was not about to sacrifice anything to God that didn't cost him something. The fruit of our lips is a sacrifice of praise, and it's meaningless to God if it doesn't cost us something. Hebrews 12, 11 says that godly living yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the church stands against sin, not because we want to be right, not because we want to hate, not because we want to dislike people who aren't like us, but because we know that sin always just makes people sad. It does not yield peaceful fruit. Righteousness uh, bears peaceful fruit. And so we, we, pro, we progress, we grow in the good work of righteousness, in a sacrifice of praise, in sharing the gospel with new believers. And then in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, we see that many of the godly attitudes, often called the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what Paul calls them, are also good works. We live in, in a world today that seems to be valuing, maybe more than ever, um, maybe that's an exaggeration, but, but we, we've begun to value uh, hostility, anger, division. And so when we are governed by, by the, the Holy Spirit, when he is producing this fruit in us, and we are people who are patient, loving, joyful, kind, and gentle, It's a great opportunity for us to grow in good works towards others. Uh, This participle, this bearing fruit, is also in the present tense, which in the Greek as well as in English, and I'm not going to go at length to explain that, means it's to always be the state that we are in. It's not something we did in the past. It's not something we'll only do in the future. We are to constantly be growing in good works. There are some ministries of the church, some good works ministries that are corporate, but I think we should all be thinking in two terms, and that's of corporate ministry and private ministry. I spent some time with the guy this week who was telling me uh, one of his desires was to just take coffee to workers and check on people. And I said, man, what, what can I do to help that? Like, that sounds like a great ministry. Recruit some guys and go do it. God, what has God placed on your heart? 
Where can you be a, a ministry to people? Maybe it's a neighbor who needs care. Maybe it's a coworker who needs help in some way. Maybe it's delivering coffee to workers around town and checking on people. But we should all seek not only to grow in the good works of the corporate ministries of the church, but all of us should be seeking to live out what God, those good works that God has created us for individually as well. So first off, we grow in good works. Secondly, and we'll start moving pretty quick here. We grow in the knowledge of God. This statement, uh, verse 10, let's, let's look at it again. So we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing, there's our next uh, participle, our next progress word, increasing in the knowledge of God. The statement knowledge is power is nowhere more true than in your spiritual life. Uh, the statement, I'm going to say that again. The statement, knowledge is power, is no more, uh, nowhere more true than in your spiritual life. What rain and sunshine are to plants, the knowledge of God is to the maturing spiritual life of the believer. You cannot understand God's will uh, apart from understanding who God is. The present tense here also indicates that this is to be something that is always growing. And, by the way, the means by which we grow is the word of God. Verse 10, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Where has God revealed himself to us? He has done so in his word. If you're not increasing in your knowledge of God, then you're not growing spiritually. It's that simple. You cannot grow apart from knowing more about God. Here's one of my favorite things to think about uh, for, for eternity. What's heaven going to be like? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture doesn't give us a huge picture of that. Revelation has some incredibly wonderful pictures. It's, it, it tells us more than we think. I would highly commend to you Randy Alcorn's book, uh, Heaven. Uh, but, but I don't really know what eternity is going to be like. But here's one thing I do know. That I know that eternity is not enough time to exhaust the glories of an infinite God. There is never going to be a time in all eternity where we go, I got it now. I got the Lord figured out. His mercies will be new every morning in heaven as they are here. He will never cease to confound us, amaze us, surprise us, overwhelm us. Because eternity is not enough time to explore the depths of an infinitely good and holy and righteous God. If you, so bottom line, read your Bibles. And second to that, if you haven't read it already, or even if you have, read it again. I would highly commend to you A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I remember reading it uh, my first semester in Bible college, and it's a little book. And each chapter, which is on one attribute of God, is only about three to four pages long. Uh, but don't, be, uh, don't, don't underestimate how much uh, incredible things can be packed into a few short pages. I remember reading that book and just being overwhelmed chapter by chapter of who God is and thinking, oh, I have so underestimated God. Uh, seeing God for who he is is an incredible joy, but it is water and nutrients to the spiritual life. Thirdly, we grow in joyful, patient endurance. We grow in joyful, patient endurance. This one is different than the other two. 
It's still a participle. It's still something we're, we're growing in. Look with me at verse 11. We are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The reason this one is different is it's passive. It's not something we do. Paul tells us here, we are to be doing our part in growing in good works. We are to be doing our part in growing in the knowledge of God. But here, this isn't something we do. It's something that's done to us. As we grow in the knowledge of God, and as we grow in good works, and as we're filled with the Spirit, He strengthens us with all power for endurance and patience with joy. This is something that God does among us or in us. It's something that should always be growing. But this patient endurance or this strengthening for patient endurance is something God does in us. But notice, and this is so important, notice that that he does this. He strengthens us with all power according to his glorious might. Not from his glorious might. Now, if uh, somebody won a billion dollars in the lottery this week, if that had been me, and I went to uh, a restaurant, say, and I tipped, uh, ordered food, and I tipped the waitress $100, or the waiter, $100, that would be giving from my riches. But if I went to that same restaurant and I ordered a meal and I tipped the waiter a million dollars, that would be giving according to my wealth. Notice that God doesn't strengthen us from his glorious might. He strengthens us according to his glorious might. And what does he strengthen us for? For endurance and patience with joy. There is a difference between these words, but not much. In either case, we must have the same attitude, and that is patience. Willingly and patiently uh, enduring whatever God brings along. But the word endurance, biblically, is a term that generally refers to circumstances. When circumstances are hard and life is tough, as believers in Christ, whose hope is set on the future, trying to live a worthy life, We patiently endure in all of those circumstances. But patience is a term that often refers to, usually in Scripture, refers to people. So whether your hardship is the result of circumstances or people, what is the response of God's people? What is the worthy life? It is patience with joy. And why is it patience with joy? Because every single day, I prove how great a sinner I am. And every single day, God patiently treats me with kindness and grace and affection. And he joyfully does so. And so we're to respond in the same way. And fourthly, and lastly, we are to be growing in gratitude Verse 12 says that we are to be giving thanks to the Father. The final way that we please God is to live lives of gratitude. And sometimes it's hard. COVID, politics, the economy, your business goes bankrupt, you've lost your job, cancer, your child died. I don't know what. 
I don't know what it is. How in the world am I supposed to give thanks in that? The answer is because no matter what the present holds, the future is certain. Look what he says here. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We know that God has qualified us for an eternal and glorious inheritance. Here's the fruit, not root. It's not your life placed in the opposite side of the balance scale that qualifies you. God in Christ has qualified each and every one of us. But this one is a little different as well from the others. It's still a participle. It's still something that we're to be growing in. We're still supposed to be progressing in thankfulness. But when it says that God has qualified you, that's a past tense. And not only is it a past tense, in Greek it's an aorist, which is a snapshot, instantaneous, one and done. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, immediately and instantaneously from that moment, God qualified you to inherit eternity. And so no matter what happens in the world today, no matter how hard things are, we can know that we have a future secured in heaven for which we are qualified by grace through faith because of what God has done. And so we can patiently endure. If by strength we live 80 or 90 years, and if that 80 or 90 years is hard, it is nothing compared to the glories of eternity. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, that this light and momentary affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. And so we please God. We balance out the scales by growing in good works, by growing in our knowledge of God, by growing in patient endurance, by growing in gratitude. Not by being perfect in all of these things, but by, today, by taking today's step. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that simple means easy. To live in a manner, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel means we live lives that seek to please God in every way. As a spouse, as a child, as an employee, as a church member, as a friend, wherever you are, wherever you live, you live there for the sake of God's glory for showing God's glory, for being pleasing to his will, or to pleasing to him by living according to his will. We do nothing for ourselves. We do everything to please him that we might live lives worthy of the gospel. Lord, it is incredible to me to think that we can live in any way worthy of the gospel, worthy of our Lord, worthy of all that he has done for us and all that you have given us and all that you have qualified us for. And yet, the worthy response is not impossible. It is a simple step today towards you, towards maturity, for your glory. Lord, may each and every one of us pursue these things. May we seek to grow in good works. May we seek to grow in our knowledge of you and of your graciousness and kindness and holiness. May we grow in patient endurance towards circumstances and people. And may we grow in gratitude for all that you have done in qualifying us to partake 
in the glorious inheritance of our future with Christ. Lord, do these things among us for our good, for your glory, for the good of your church, but also for the spread of the gospel, that more people might step into the worthy walk, that more people might live according to your will, that more people might join with us in praise. Thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name.